Hello and welcome to episode number 18 of Earth Repair Radio. What we want is to create enough critical mass so that the expectation that regeneration as an outcome of human activities will be what backs the economy. Nothing short of planetary regeneration. What if we could have money that actually represents like deep black soil and biodiverse, vibrant forests and healthy oceans? And the value of that goes up when those things are healthier. I'll go talk to an insurance company and say, hey, you know, in the next 15 years, I guarantee you there's going to be a catastrophic flood event here. We could reduce your payouts by, you know, 300%. All you have to do is pay all the farmers in this watershed a minimal amount for the next five years to increase their soil organic matter. Your, your listeners probably think, you know, either I'm crazy or, or there's quite a bit of hubris in, in the midst of sort of saying such a bold thing. Hello, I'm your host, Andrew Millison, and today we have a very special guest. It's Gregory Landouet. Gregory is the co-founder and CEO of Regen Network. Regen Network is a blockchain-driven platform that's issuing its own cryptocurrency designed to achieve ecological regeneration. He's also the co-founder of TerraGenesis International, a company that integrates regenerative agriculture into the world's supply systems. He co-authored the pioneering book, Regenerative Enterprise, and the Levels of Regenerative Agriculture White Paper, as well as the founding Regen Network White Paper. I have a ton of respect for Gregory and consider him a real thought leader in the realm of planetary regeneration. Now, I've got to tell you, I really had no idea what blockchains or cryptocurrency really were or how they worked going into this interview. So we begin with the blockchain and cryptocurrency 101 before we get into discussing the Regen Network. So if you already understand these things, you may want to just skip ahead to the 24-minute mark. But otherwise, Gregory provides a really good blockchain cryptocurrency introduction for the layperson. So without further ado, here's the interview with Gregory Landway. Hey, Gregory, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. It's really great to get a chance to talk to you. Um, I attended your webinar that you and Christian Shearer put on to introduce your new project, and I was so excited and inspired about what I heard, and at the same time, I don't really understand. <laughs> so <laughs> I really wanted to talk to you because, so, you know, uh, it, it's really fascinating how you are merging the high tech with the land-based uh, ecological agriculture, regenerative agriculture. And I really want to hear about your project with the Regen Network, but I want you to talk to me and other listeners who are really not informed, who don't understand really what cryptocurrency is and where it gets its value, who don't understand blockchain. Uh, I've heard these terms, but I'm really curious if you could start at the very beginning 
and explain what blockchains and cryptocurrency are for the layperson and how you are planning on using these for planetary regeneration. Sure. Yeah, I'll do my best to start at at square one and um, and and move from there. Um, so, and, and maybe I'll do a little bit of uh, just a little bit of a story about how I got to be wrapped up in all of this. Of course, it, it's not my natural inclination, nor even necessarily my first choice to be, you know, going the high tech route <laughs> mm-hmm. in all of this. Um, but I think for a variety of different reasons through my life, I've experienced that, you know, really um, the, the pragmatic approach at this stage is to really look for ways to reconnect technology in service to ecology and society and not in those of us who are really doing amazing work on ecosystem regeneration and permaculture in social and cultural regeneration really need to be able to, um, not, sorry for the sawing in the background, (laughs) really need to not sort of stick our heads in the sand, so to speak. We really need to be connected to what is moving in the world of technology because it's, there is an exponential growth of um, computational power of focus on virtual and digital realities. Hmm. And, um, and it's, it is starting to affect all parts of our lives. Um, and it isn't some, you know, um, it isn't something that we can simply, you know, close our eyes and have it go away. So it's really important to open our eyes and inquire, you know, what about this technology can we use? What about this technology could be a powerful driver for regeneration. And so that's kind of my framing. Um, and I'll start with, you know, I think there's a really, there's an underlying question. Your first question was, you know, what's, what's a cryptocurrency? What gives it value is, is sort of one way of asking what you asked me. And I would say even go, let's go one step further back. You know, what, what makes something valuable in the first place that could be exchanged? Like just throw out a couple of key concepts for people just to kind of frame things. One concept is fungibility and that's fungibility is the the ability to exchange um, one thing for any other thing. Hmm. Like, like a U.S. dollar is kind of infinitely fungible. You can, you can sort of find a price for anything in a U.S. dollar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Even things that we might not want to have a price. That's fungibility is the ability to kind of like have an, uh, an, an exchange rate, essentially, um, that's, you know, flexible and allows you to find value and then exchange things. <clears throat> and then I know another key concept here, just to kind of frame the conversation, is around um, what gives something value. And um, usually in markets, um, value is determined by, you know, demand and scarcity. So if you have something that a whole bunch of people want and there isn't very much of, the value goes up, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Okay. So, so now kind of having those sort of anchoring our conversation, we could say that d- cryptocurrencies are digital, is a type of digital money in which 
you basically program in scarcity, essentially. And you do it in such a way that no one can hack it so that there can be no replication. So there is really sort of like a unique digital asset. Okay. So, so you can't counterfeit it, right? So there's a, there is actual real scarcity. Yeah. And essentially, and then people program in different, the way that that scarcity is maintained, um, pe people approach it in different ways. And the way that that trust is maintained, people approach it in different ways. Like Bitcoin, which many people have probably read about, it's sort of the most ubiquitous and common. I get a lot of questions, well, isn't, you know, isn't the energy cost of all of this going to be just too high? And that's because of the way that Bitcoin works is the scarcity is generated by making it very hard to generate new bitcoins. Mm -hmm. The only way to do it is by brute computing power, which takes a lot of energy, right? Yeah. And so at this point, in order to create the sort of artificial scarcity of bitcoin that makes it in quotes valuable and yeah. and the reason why people speculate on it and exchange on it, um, exchange with it and, you know, use it as a store of value and call it things like, in quotes, digital gold. Just, you know, people may or may not hear the sarcasm in my voice. I'm not a huge Bitcoin fan, but uh -huh. I'm just trying to like, this is the theory. This is why people find it valuable is because it's, it's essentially it's valuable because in order to create it, you have to use a lot of computing power. Right. And so it represents that computational power if you want to think of it that way. Um, so, so that's sort of like the high level that's without really too much, um, technical background. I'm going to pause and just, Andrew, see if you want to guide me a little bit. Well, I'm just sort of trying to build some foundational pieces here. Yeah. So I'm still, what, I'm, what does I'm, that bring up? What's, okay. I'm, I'm just emerge? like, what is, I mean, I know the, say the American dollar, right? Originally it was a note that was representing a silver or a gold reserve. Now it no right. longer is that, but foundationally it was representing a metal that, you know, has a, a so finite. So what do you think creates the value of the U.S. dollar now? Well, it's more like our, our reputation and the, the, uh, sort of like the momentum of our economy. Um, yeah. 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 People are betting that I would completely agree. Essentially the value of the U S dollar is that things will be the same tomorrow as they are today. Relatively speaking. Yeah. But I'm like the, the, the extractive economy will continue working. And, and, and the reason that that is so is a, is a number of different reasons. There's several pillars. One of which is like the U S military, one of which is, you know, the banking industry, et cetera, right? And, yeah. and everybody's sort of like, those things, they're going to keep, you know, keep chugging along. And so the U.S. dollar will still be worth something. Yeah. But, so let's go back. And what, why what is silver and gold valuable? Well, they certainly have actual physical uses in the world. I mean, gold is a rare but metal. Is the, yeah, but is the use of gold at all connected to its value as a commodity? Um, well, I think that the use historically gave people this feeling of rarity and value. Um, however, that actual use ended up becoming more of, it became more of a symbol of wealth um, of this, you know, this finite metal that I guess there's there's a certain just it's a sparkly and beautiful, and people like these things. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would argue that in any sort of fu deeply functional way, the utility of gold has never been higher because we use it in a lot of like electronics and other things. So it actually has a lot of use in today's economy, yeah. but the value of it is not connected to its utility. Okay. It's connected to a, a social construct that we've all decided that gold is really valuable and, and that right. that social construct has been around for thousands of years. Right. right, right. But I would argue that it is just that. It's a social construct that everybody is just has a consensus that that's valuable. Yeah. Well, there's certain, like, it was interesting because I, I had to go to the dentist and get a crown and my wife has crowns and she has gold crowns. And the reason is that gold is this one metal that can go in your mouth and will mold to your bite and will not degrade over time. And I was like, oh, wow, gold is actually this really special thing. I mean, I think there are definitely special characteristics right. it's and super qualities special. about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's inert. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't break down. It doesn't tarnish. Right. It's really cool. Yeah. Right. I guess my point is, if you just took that, that like powerful inertness, <laughs> yeah. that gold is useful, it's, you know, it can be used for, and you say, okay, it could be used for dentition work, dentistry work, and it could be used for, you know, conductors and electronics um, and, you know, and, and for making things beautiful and, you know, a handful of other things, um, it would be, and that's all people were trading on was yeah. just the utility of it. Yeah. Gold prices would not be anywhere near what, where are, they are right now. Right. Yeah. Right. So is that the, basically the same concept that is creating intrinsic value or creating value in cryptocurrency is just people's, uh, belief that this is a valuable thing. Definitely. Okay. And why do people believe <laughs> and, it's a valuable thing? I don't and understand. like gold, like okay. gold. So let's keep with gold and Bitcoin. Okay. Just to, like this basic. And I, at all, I just want to be clear. I'm not talking at all about what we're doing with Regen Network yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. We're just, just trying to understand what we're it just, is. We're just answering a first question, which will allow us to get to some deeper conversations about Regen Network. So Bitcoin Bitcoin, just like gold, does have real utility and it's pretty exciting and cool, just like being able to use gold for dentistry, which is very cool, actually. Yeah. Bitcoins, the coolness of Bitcoin is that you can create a fungible, exchangeable currency without centralized control. Okay. A, gr a decentralized group of people can all agree and transact without having to trust one another and without having to, you know, coerce one another in Bitcoin, you know, as long as they all think it's valuable, it, it technically, you know, you can like get it in your digital wallet or get it on your computer. You can participate in mining it in quotes with, you know, putting your computational power to work for the network all without there being like a U.S. Federal Reserve okay. or a central bank or a cabal of people who arguably manipulate, you know, interest rates and give bailouts to banks and all of these other things that kind of okay. piss people off. <laughs> and so there's utility. That's utility. Whether it's utility enough to warrant the current speculative bubble 
I mean, that's arguable, right? Some mm-hmm. people would say it's it's way bigger utility than that. I'm not even. I don't even want to talk about the relative price. But that's what people. That's the value that people are betting on, essentially, when they buy and hold a Bitcoin. Is that, you know, that that unique, uh, in a cryptographically secure digital token that they have right there, yeah. that Bitcoin will be in higher demand later than it is now because more and more people will want access to a decentralized, um, you know, exchange service, essentially, where there is no single single party controlling everything and therefore subject to be like having control and everyone else is subject to their ability to then manipulate or go back or change the rules, etc. Which, if you look through history, happens an awful lot with money. Right. So there's so so it's, I want to take a step back for a second. So there's some sort of program or there's some sort of centralizing body that harnesses the computing power that individuals have to collectively create this storage of energy that represents a cryptocurrency. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, everything you said there, without the centralizing, um, so there. Let's let's put it this way: it's a decentralized structure, but there's like a centralized logic. Okay. Like every there's a standard. Like everyone is agreeing that you know, in order to participate, you have to run the same code okay. and you have to compute in the same way and you have to participate in the same network. Okay. So there is sort of like a a centralized logic and a decentralization of power and computation. And yeah, Bitcoin essentially represents, yeah, exactly that. It's like, it's like a symbolic representation of, of that, that power being used to, to generate that. When I said centralized, I meant like somebody created the program, somebody created the code. Um, but you're saying they didn't necessarily create it for their own benefit they created it for this dispersed network and no the person that created the system that creates bitcoin doesn't like um they they have no intrinsic i mean there's a whole myth there right uh if you look into the history of bitcoin which i'm not the best person to talk to about this but the myth of the creation of bitcoin there you know there's a there's a human i mean arguably a human who knows guess it could have been artificial intelligence called satoshi who wrote a white paper and then you know launched this code and then people could start mining bitcoins and basically and then there's a community of people and you know it is a blockchain so in order to make any changes a certain like basically the whole community has to agree to any changes that get made okay Right. So so it's essentially it's the very same code that was launched way back when that's keeping this whole thing going with with updates with that everybody saw fit for. So anyway, we're way deep in. Bitcoin okay. Yeah. Land. Sorry. I don't want to get too too tangential. I'm just trying to understand foundationally because I guess you're going to explain how your system is the same or different from that. So we talked a little bit about what a cryptocurrency actually is is and then you mentioned blockchain what actually is a blockchain let's see what would be the best way to i heard a really nice metaphor once um actually on tim ferris podcast um that that i'll just shamelessly steal i don't remember the gentleman who is sharing it but a bl- blockchain is essentially it's a it's a 
um, it's a digital, it's a cryptographic protocol that enables you to basically what, what's called in the lingo is called hashing, which is a technical term, but essentially sort of um, to encrypt and represent data from a moment in time. And in this case, in the case of Bitcoin, it's like what transaction went where. That's the data they're they're like hashing onto the blockchain. And and then forever after on that blockchain, you know, basically everyone has access to and has a record of that that moment, although it's encrypted. So they're sort of perpetuating or replicating out that um, that same information, but without actually being able to access exactly what it means because it's been encrypted. So unless you have the private keys, you can't see what information is there. No. So, so why is that interesting? I mean, yeah. it's kind of like life. It's kind of like, you know, every, every plant has a DNA record going back to the very first, you know, Genesis moment of life. And they're carrying encoded in their DNA all of the information that made it possible for that life to happen. So that's very different from how most technology works in which there's sort of just a fragment of code or something that, you know, in that moment appears and gets run so that you can like see something on your browser or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's a bunch of interesting things that that makes possible. Um, and you know, what that is, is distributed ledgers, right? Being able to distribute a shared ledger to a group of computers or people in a network. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of an old way. If you think about it, I sort of think we're coming full circle to the days in which, you know, uh, accounting for how livestock was grazed on a commons mm -hmm. happened in a, in a public way that everybody could always see. Right. Yeah. Instead of in a private ledger that's hidden away from everybody that nobody can actually see. Mm -hmm. Right. So so the the metaphor, another metaphor for the blockchain in quotes is sort of like, you know, you have an insect that gets covered by amber. Yeah. Right. And then every year more amber is layered on. These are the layers. Those are the blocks. Mm. That original insect is always going to be there. And mm -hmm. anything else, pollen, other insects, other things mm -hmm. that sort of are trapped and encapsulated by the amber as it goes year after year after year are going to be visible and available for anyone who's looking at that amber that's just been layered over. Right. right? So that that's the blockchain yeah. in essence. And I could see how I, I, I'm starting to see after hearing you talk um, about this at length in a webinar you gave, I'm starting to see how that could be something that was layered with things that had intrinsic value. And when I look right. at a blockchain, say, in terms of what you were talking about regarding Bitcoin and just, say, the electronic space that is used to store a ledger of transactions that is really not related to any biological systems like in the bitcoin uh in in that example it seems kind of like a, a waste of space right right but it was a and i totally agree and and it's sort of like this brilliant proof of concept 
and everybody's excited and it's busted down all these barriers and, you know, people can exchange value and transact across any border anywhere in the world with no bank involved. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and exactly what you just said. And it's kind of useless because there's no real deeply valuable information being encoded into the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah you know, other than just transaction history. And that's, you know, there's various reasons, the way that it was coded, et cetera, et cetera. So now bridging into region network. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm starting to get a clue now of how this could be used in a positive way. So I'm excited to hear what you guys are doing. Essentially, what we're exploring is the potential that exists if you layer in you know, geo-referenced, location tagged, and time bound, you know, always t- hashing the, signing the time, time stamped, that's what it's called, um, information about a particular ecosystem in the world. So that that is then available and can be used. So we spent most of the time on, on, on sort of like blockchain 101, which is Bitcoin. We didn't even get to blockchain 102. Mm-hmm which is the ability to execute programmable what's called smart contracts on the blockchain, which are sort of like you just say, you know, if this, then that, and you launch a contract out and it's sort of automated, right? And so that's what Ethereum essentially is bringing to the world is the ability to do smart contracts. Um, So what we're exploring is the ability to have a blockchain that is really built to layer, observe, and incorporate those observations in a trusted way, what's happening in any given part of the earth to the, to the necessary authenticity. I mean, you know, in some cases, you don't need to go crazy and have satellites and drones and IoT sensors and all sorts of other crazy things. You might just have a local farmer who just, like, says, this is what happened. This is what it looks like. Here's the biodiversity that I observed. That's fine. We're actually agnostic to that. What we're just trying to do is build a tool whereby that can become essentially a publicly available record that then we can create this sort of smart contracting framework so that people can reference and they can reward one another. Or alternatively, if there's decreases in ecosystem health, there can be sort of compensation or remediation contracts to to reinvest when things have been damaged by, you know, deleterious stewardship. Um, you know, we, we want to have a seamless, frictionless, fast, easy, and, and trustworthy way for people to start exchanging, transacting, and making agreements. It's really about the agreements at the end of the day around ecological state and ecological regeneration. Okay. And that's what we're aiming to do with Regen Network. So could you give me an example of what a smart contract transaction might look like? Like who the people are and and how people would stand to gain from participating? Yeah, so in our case, in Region Network, uh, an ecological contract might look like, um, you know, you have a farmer um, who's practicing conventional tillage agriculture somewhere in the Midwest, right? And you have um, a company 
that would like this farmer to shift to no-till agriculture um, because they're building a new brand around, you know, um, soil health and um, carbon sequestration into soil. And they want to be able to bring that story to their customers. So the smart contract would look like, you know, the, the company and the farmer and whatever verification they deem necessary. In this case, it's almost undoubtedly satellite because you can tell from space (laughs) if somebody's tilled or not. It's pretty simple. Um, And basically the contract would say, if you don't till next year, we'll pay you 10% premium. And so, you know, when this satellite tells us yes or no, the smart contract executes and that premium will be delivered to your wallet, Hmm. essentially. That's that's like the example of a smart contract running on region network. So so this is one piece of information that is being stored in your blockchain. Yes, that's I think ex- that's a, that's accurate enough. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. this yeah, so this sort of transaction the the data of monitoring this farmer and then the fact that that these people <clears throat> attributed value um, to no tillage is stored in yep. the blockchain and that it was and that it was you know it, it was shown to be a yes or a no according to what permissions and what algorithm and what satellite data made the proof happen okay. all of those things are all stored there as like bookmarks okay. so that then you could go back and you could also run i mean it gets very geeky you can do lots of cool things with you know, in a, in a sense, I'd say one thing that we're doing is we're trying to take a um, we're, we're trying to bring the power of, you know, in quotes, big data yeah. to small players right. <laughs> and with the appropriate emphasis on their privacy and their sovereignty and their rights so that it isn't big data sort of manipulating situations, but instead it's people participating to create this kind of um, intelligence and, you know, benefit from it. Yeah. So, so you've got that one transaction and then you have, you know, a thousand thousand other similar, uh, interactions between people where they're monitoring, whether it's no tillage or, you know, reforestation or, or whatever the different practices. And so you're storing this whole bunch of interactions, transactions, proofs, uh, yep. on this blockchain network. Yep. And then what? Well, then that's available for people to make different contracts with each other, for people to use that information to get smarter about a variety of different things. Um, it's sort of, there's a whole marketplace that's born out of that. Right. Uh-huh. So, um, there's, there's enormous, very interesting opportunities for machine learning to basically be able to write algorithms that can then analyze that data and allow us to understand more. You know, essentially, region network is kind of like, we, you know, we have to hone our ecological observation uh-huh. <laughs> and and. And in one way, region network is basically a large decentralized scientific network of people making scientific observations. And then the market, 
choosing to trust or not trust those observations in order to, you know, make claims, contracts um, around what's actually happening somewhere yeah. in the world. And as you said, there's a number of different layers, you know, from forestry to um, no-till agriculture to um, ocean remediation and regeneration work. There's a lot of different applications of this depending on what people are interested in. Yeah. So, so it's like you, you, you build this, you build this data, this collection of data. And then you said something like the market would start to respond to that. Like how, how would this collection of data theoretically start to push the market towards regenerative practices? I mean, is that, is that well, what's I think, happening? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's, I mean, I mean, to some degree, it's theoretical. To a large degree, I would, I would propose the market already wants to move towards regeneration. Okay. But it's very hard at the moment because it's very hand-wavy and there isn't any real way to have a trusted claim about something across the world that was it regenerative or not. Okay. So, so customers and even governments, everybody, I think, you know... <laughs> Most everyone that I interact with in my work from day to day would like to have regenerative outcomes from the way that crops are being grown, from the way that forests are being managed. But there's a huge dearth of information and people use that to their advantage. And the only stopgap sort of trust measure that we have are these kind of clumsy third party certifications that are fragmented and then and themselves don't actually like there's a lot of fraud that happens. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, is it really organic or is organic really what it means? It, it, it what it, it means anymore. I mean, right. you know, there's been lots of erosion of those standards as well. Yeah. And so our our sort of uh, project thesis is that by in being able to include everyone to, to whatever degree they would like to be in the process of defining and engaging with regeneration and then, you know, on their own terms, being able to make contracts and report on it, we actually build enough density of understanding and intelligence and coordination that we'll all have a much greater degree of certainty about what is happening and why it's happening and what the best next step is in order to have a regenerative outcome. Yeah. Nice. So now does this set of information that, you know, becomes like, like you just really eloquently described, you know, how having this, the backing of all this data really allows us to make better choices. Now, does this also, do you have a cryptocurrency that becomes built on this set of information? I mean, is that part of your project? Yeah, essentially the region token that runs region network is a, a native cryptocurrency that essentially represents this ecological knowledge commons. Yeah. Right. And so it doesn't, the, the region token at the beginning, we really wanted to back the region token with real regenerative land assets. Yeah. And what we found is, and that's what we started trying to do mm-hmm. is like, what if we could have money that actually represents like deep black soil and 
biodiverse, vibrant forests yeah. and healthy oceans. And the value of that goes up when those things are healthier and it goes down if they're less healthy. Uh-huh. So everyone who's participating in the economy has a vested interest, a more clearly vested interest, because it's absurd to think we don't have a vested yeah. interest, <laughs> but a more clearly vested interest in maintaining these common, this commonwealth, these common assets. It turns out that it was really hard to make a system where um, we could trust the data if you had incentive to be lying about the ecological state hmm. in order to, you know, in order to like game, in order to get more tokens or whatever. Yeah. So instead, the tokens represent your participation essentially in the knowledge economy of creating the trust in what's happened hmm. where and when. Right. So you don't have an incentive so that, to, to, to put back. That's right. You don't to have lie. A, you're right. To lie. There's, okay. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. um, the incentive is on providing quality, correct information, whether or not it's ecologically degenerative or regenerative. Right. You know, it's it's an ecological knowledge system. Wow. And then the next layer above that, the smart contracting layer that I've been talking about. Yeah. That's where we can build in incentives. That's where we could build new crypto token economies that's where we can build applications and agreements with one another where we reward trust you know now that we have a trust anchor we reward regeneration and we make make it so that there there is the possibility for potentially even new currencies to be born that represent soil health because we know we have this trust layer yeah. And that's that's what gets very exciting to me. It's actually what comes next. But at the moment, we're really working on creating this sort of cryptographically secure, powerful, robust, resilient, and um, computationally um, efficient system to be able to run all of this. So we're not, you know, th- we're not saying that all of this ecological information is going to be running on every single person's computer everywhere. We're not. We're not sort of going to that extreme, which is one sort of decentralized techno dystopia vision that's basically like Bitcoin. It just sort of takes over the world. What we're actually doing is there's a limited number of computers that have the governance of many different people that are running all of this information and maintaining the network and, you know, um, so we have a decentralized governance and a distributed computing system, but it's much less energy intensive. I mean, we made those decisions in that way because specifically we want, you know, we really want this to be as efficient and lean as possible on the computation and tech side, because yeah. what it's really all about is the ecological regeneration and a lot, making a tool for people to have a social con- contract and yeah. economic contract around regenerative outcomes. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely had a moment there where I got goosebumps all over my body and I was like I kind of I kind of got it, you know, like the 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 power of creating it's it's like an economic force that represents the monitoring of ecosystems. Now, do you see like what kind of people are you hoping to attract? to this force, you know, and, and how are people that maybe don't even are, aren't even thinking in uh, promoting regeneration, are they going to be enticed to participate because of the positive uh, economic outcomes for them? I think so. <clears throat> I mean, I think that 
what we're doing makes things a lot easier for several different groups of people that currently have a lot of challenge. And our, you know, my, our thesis is that many of the degenerative outcomes of agriculture right now are due to this sort of like um, fragmented, opaque, um, untrusted and untrustworthy system of exchange with many, many middlemen in between and no assuredness. So essentially farmers from a strictly speaking economic perspective don't have much incentive to shift to regenerative agriculture. Yeah. Right. They have disincentive. In fact, It, it makes their life harder. I mean, you can get higher yields, but their higher yields spread over a hyper diversity of different crops. And so then you have to spend all this time trying to market all these different crops. You're not getting valued, you know, so just like the time economics don't work out except for, for very small localized farmers yeah. um, or in sort of superstar cases like Joel Salatin and uh-huh. Will Harris and other folks. And, and I think the shift is happening right now. I think the eco- economics are getting easier and starting to shift and, there's other ways besides region network to approach this. Um, but we think that by sort of creating the opportunity for people to connect directly with farmers and know exactly what's happening on their farms um, and be able to pull that up into, you know, online marketplaces or into your grocery store or into a carbon trading market, wherever it might be, we can really align farmer incentives with being rewarded for regenerative outcomes and what that does for farmers it essentially gives them another crop to sell they get to be rewarded for stewarding their own resources they get to be rewarded for making their own soil healthier which only benefits them twice (laughs) and so so we think even people who aren't sort of like dyed in the wool you know passionate crusaders for regeneration are going to think this is pretty cool because If you can get rewarded for making your soil healthier, essentially, um, so that your crops are healthier, you have less pests, you have higher yields, then, you know, of course you're going to. Up until now, you've been making decisions that have degraded the health of your soil for economic reasons and out of convenience. But when you start to shift those economic reasons, you know, uh, there's no reason, there's no rational reason why people are going to fight that essentially. And so we're just trying to take a roadblock away to accelerate the shift towards regenerative agriculture in essence. Now, now one example you gave was of someone who was trying to um, support their brand, right? And so they have, you know, the data to support that the actions of their farmers for a particular brand. What are some other examples of ways that say a farmer could potentially make money off of their regenerative practices aside from the one example you gave yeah well there's several i mean there's there's several different we're working in partnership with several different groups that are starting ecosystem service marketplaces where um, governments or companies or citizens who would like to offset their carbon emissions for instance can buy you know credits in quotes Uh um so that's another big one um So there we have the we have the retail and consumer market. We have sort of carbon credit marketplace, um, and then uh, we think that there's really strong case to be made for um, certain for certain parties like insurance companies 
municipal governments that want to mitigate the risk caused. Like, for instance, like we all know, probably most listeners on this podcast know, you know, you have richer soil, you have more organic matter, you have a lot less flooding because the soil is a sponge. So for every 1% increase in soil organic matter, you get roughly 50,000 gallons per acre of storage capacity. That's a lot of rain, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if you have people who have economic incentive to, because they don't want to pay out insurance for floods, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Okay, we, we can make a smart contract so that you can basically pay a small amount to farmers and it's not a... I mean, I'm always wary of carbon credits, to be honest. It's not my favorite thing. It's just it is a market that needs this kind of information. But you start just like I'll go talk to an insurance company and say, hey, you know, in the next 15 years, I guarantee you there's going to be a catastrophic flood event here. We could reduce your payouts by, you know, 300 percent. All you have to do is pay all the farmers in this watershed a minimal amount yeah. for the next five years to increase their soil organic matter. Yeah. That's a great smart contract. That's, great. That's a great relationship. That's yeah. a really powerful way. You know, the same with municipalities, you know, um, the, the same being true with governments that want to achieve conservation goals or, you know, you could, yeah. they basically can, that you can write these contracts that are public benefit contracts. Yeah. And, and get people to participate and have an easy, seamless way to verify their participation yeah. and have the exchange take place based on outcomes and verified outcomes instead of, you know, sort of the, the usual sort of clumsy bureaucratic way that those, those things happen. Where I live, I could totally see the, the municipal government of my town, for starters, um, as being really interested in this because they have this whole program Corvallis 2040, you know, they have this big plan they're putting forth and all of their goals are about um, ecological sustainability and local agriculture and increasing the hydrological capacity of soils. And I mean, they actually have this stated as policy and planning. Um, and I could, you know, when, when you look at a lot of the, uh, you know, the state of Oregon, for example, and a lot of their policies really are aligned with, it sounds like, what you are producing. So I, I really could see, especially governments that already have these um, aims and goals, I really could see uh, some large-scale transactions happening um, with your system that's able to prove these outcomes and, and the whole the whole thing about the insurance company paying all the farmers in a watershed to increase their soil organic matter i mean man that is just brilliant yeah, yeah thank you and you know un sustainable development goals you yeah. know <clears throat> there's a lot of people who have realized their sort of common incentive to regenerate landscapes it's just really hard to coordinate yeah. it's just there's not there's there's so much friction in the way that bureaucracies work and and that's that's essentially what we're working on sort of disintermediating and creating trust and using technology in service to that yeah how did you come up with this <laughs> i mean you know it's like it, it seems really visionary and i'm just wondering what was the What's what's the story behind how this idea uh, came to you and crystallized? 
Uh, that's a great question. Um, well, I mean, I've been thinking about these sorts of things for a long time. Some of your listeners may have read the book that um, Ethan Rowland and I published in 2012, Regenerative Enterprise. Um, I've been thinking about sort of bio, what, what, you know, bioregional currency or um, aligning e human economy and service to ecosystems for a long time. And, um, and, and then the, you know, and then 2017 happened, which was this explosion in the crypto, uh, in the crypto sphere, right? It was like the, you know, hundreds and thousands of ICOs, Bitcoin price going through the roof, all of these things. And it just so happened that one of our friends, it, uh, I, I met someone who became a friend who's deeply in the crypto world, who basically took a permaculture design course from Christian hmm. <laughs> and got excited about the worldview and the potential. And, you know, something about that relationship just spurred me to be much more courageous about things that I had been thinking about for a long time and then combining them with some pretty rigorous you know, game theory and economic analysis and cryptography and pretty deep, rigorous tools for creating trust in marketplaces. And, you know, um, you know, I just started really digging in and um, it, this was all sort of happening at the same time that my son was born. And so I took I took a paternity leave. So, you know, I'd be walking my son, you know, so so my wife could get a nap in or whatever. And I'd be listening to a, you know, podcast trying to wrap my head around crypto economics and what the hell was going on there. And, you know, having that swirl around and having conversations with friends about this. And, you know, at a certain point, it just became clear that that we needed to go for it, that we needed to, you know, it's a big, audacious powerful vision to create new markets and a new economy that's somehow deeply rooted in ecological health. But we have all these new tools. We have um, this enormous developer community now that's being, that's concentrating on decentralization of, of power and distribution of computations. <clears throat> so let's, let's dig in and let's engage with these folks and let's see what does this all look like when we sort of um, hone in on what for us is the root, the, the root of earth care, you know, and, and fair share and people care and say, you know, if we're coming from that ethical lens, what, uh, what is the appropriate application of this technology? What do the marketplaces look like? What are the services that we need to be able to provide people to invite them to participate? And region network was born essentially with a lot of other people's help. I mean, it's been a, it's been really a collective effort. I can take credit for a part of the vision, but only a part, because there's really a, a vibrant, super intelligent team that's kind of all converging with the same set of questions and, you know, learning together. So, yeah. yeah. Now, what's the big vision? I mean, when you think, when you think, okay, 20 years down the line or even more, this is let's say this is just wildly successful and it takes off and there's just this cascading chain of events. I mean, how, how, how big can this get, you know, where can this really go in your perception of it? I mean, nothing short of planetary regeneration, really. I mean, I think what, 
what is possible is, you know, the the removal of excess atmospheric carbon through biological, through creating healthier and healthier biological, agroecological systems and having those systems be the foundation of our economy and um, being able to pull sort of true cost, true ecological and social cost into goods and services um, and being able to make better decisions together as a society about what we fund and um, how we trade. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's a big vision, but I, I do think all of that is possible. So what is the sequence of events that you could foresee? Like what's your best case scenario that happens in the coming years with the introduction of your system to actually uh, enact this planetary regeneration. Well, your your listeners probably think, you know, either I'm crazy or or there's quite a bit of hubris in, in the midst of sort of saying such a bold thing. Like our aim is planetary re- regeneration, and just to be clear, I think there's a lot of a lot of collective intelligence and many different people working on a lot of different angles that lead there. It's not just like a single silver bullet <laughs> solution okay. in the form of region network at all. Um, but I think we're solving, we're, tr- we're working on, you know, the problem is the solution on one of the big problems, which is, you know, um, yeah, the economic, the economic problem. So the series of events, I think leading they're sort of, you know, region network centric. And again, I think there's a lot of different um, pathways that all converge um, is, you know, I think in the next year, we're going to, you know, launch a bunch of pilot projects, we're going to develop a bunch of really great partnerships with, um, with leaders in leading brands and you know, and investors and leading scientists and research institutions and and governments. And we're going to start working out the kinks, you know, taking land it. We're going to land this idea from something, you know, from a vision into something that's very concrete and practical um, where we're out making mistakes and, and fixing things and sort of iterating the design and fixing the code and testing our assumptions. And, you know, I think in nine months or a year, we hope to have a functional, you know, system, a functional beta platform that people can use and start to make contracts with one another and start to track ecological state and outcomes. And, um, and then a year after that, we hope to have a very strong community and a, and a fully, um, implemented platform. And, um, and then, you know, in the following years, um, we really see that, you know, fundamentally, this is going to, it's going to take a community and it's going to take a community of really intelligent people, people who are more intelligent than I to, you know, come together and, and design, um, pathways around challenges, um, through challenges, um, both from the science angle and the agricultural angle and the technology angle, um, to make sure this all works. And so 
we really feel like the next five years, I mean, there's a lot of technology that needs to be built and there's a lot of marketing and there's a lot of, uh, um, partnerships, but, but really it's about community really from my perspective, if we have a strong enough community of technologists and scientists and farmers all working together to, um, with an emphasis on how do we value ecological regeneration and how do we bring th- that more and more effectively into the center of our operations and how does this technology allow us to do that, then you know we're going to have a success probably beyond what we can even imagine right now. I mean, I think it will change things fundamentally uh, in a lot of ways. And so, um, yeah. I mean that's that's sort of the the path forward. I think yeah. the 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 next steps in, in in that vein, the next steps for us are really partnership centric. And so, yeah. you know, it really has to do with who you know, where are the leading municipalities like Corvallis or where are who are the companies who are already trying to answer these questions that we can partner with and explore together and and you know, and generate um generate a holistic platform that allows, um, you know, a different system to be born. And I didn't really get to speak to this as clearly as I wanted to, but essentially, you know, when I asked you, when we were talking about the very beginning of the podcast, listeners will remember we were talking about what, how do we determine value? What makes something valuable? We were talking about gold and Bitcoin and U.S. dollars. Well, you know, what we want is to create enough critical mass so that the expectation that regeneration as an outcome of human activities will be happened yesterday is going to happen today and will continue happening tomorrow to be what backs the economy Hmm. and to be what backs value. And that's the clearest way I could articulate what I think a living capital currency looks like. Because obviously you can't dissect a living system into decimal points or pieces of eight or whatever it might be and trade them with one another. You have to, the whole has to be intact. And so it's really the trust that the whole will continue to be intact and thrive that we really want to be able to base exchange that reinforces and regenerates living capital. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the aim. That's what we're working towards together. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you started to answer the next question on my mind, uh, which is what's the point where the degenerative and dysfunctional economic system becomes outcompeted or, That's right. or influence or just incredibly influenced by a regenerative, uh, regeneratively based economic system. You sort of said, answered it by saying that there just becomes i'm gonna i'll I'll paraphrase a a cultural expectation that value uh has regeneration as part of its backing i mean is that that's that's how i see it going down for sure i i think you know there'll be short-term you know corporations will outcompete each other to be more regenerative and hopefully that will have deep integrity and not just be a greenwashing show yeah. and i think that's one of the big things that we're working on is like right. making that integrity be fundamental and you know if enough of us believe and enough of us strive and enough of 
of us make that central to the way that we exchange and communicate and um, and make agreements with one another, then at just exactly as you said, very eloquently, you know, uh, re- regeneration as a value will become the the norm around how we make decisions and and what we determine is valuable and how then sort of the competitive market dynamics interact in the world. And so, you know, exponential growth looks way different in that scenario. It looks like creatively looking to increase photosynthetic edge and increase the, you know, it looks, exponential growth looks a lot more like Bill Mollison saying, the only limit to yield is your own imagination. Right. You know, and, and a lot less like, you know, exponentially extracting scarce resources. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hopefully there's some people that have listened and gotten through this whole conversation here that are really uh, inspired. Um, I'm pretty inspired myself. And how how can people at this point support uh, or interact with your project uh, now and then into the future? Yeah, well, um, join our conversation. We have a, a, a lively um, online sort of chat room if you want to ask questions and engage with the community. We, we run that through a, um, a decentralized chat, uh, open source chat channel called Riot. Um, and you can click through the website um, to, to that. I think it's pretty, uh, pretty easy to find on the front page there. We'll put the um, link in jo- the show notes. Yeah, put the link in. Um, so that's one way. Um, we, we are in the midst of a of a presale of of region tokens. Um, it's a U.S. Regulation D um, security because it is a speculative, you know, investment. People are speculating that the value of the tokens will be more later than it is now, and so it's accredited. It's for accredited investors only. Um, we're really you know, wanting to be compliant with um, U.S. securities laws because, you know, corporations and governments are going to have to be a part of all of this. So we want to be friendly. So um, and we're not really hyping it much. But since you asked, um, that is happening. So we're raising we're in the middle of raising money right now. And um, we're also, you know, always looking for developers um, people who are passionate about permaculture and regeneration and also have background in software. We're, we have, we're, we're really keen to engage with the science community. We have a big team and are happy to grow that. Um, and of course we'd love, you know, we, we, we really, this, this comes out of the permaculture movement fundamentally, you know, our work, Terra Genesis and, and region network are both born, um, with, an entrepreneurial zeal out of the region network, sorry, out of the permaculture movement. And, um, just, you know, stay connected with us. Let us know your thoughts. What are your questions? Drop us a line, engage us on, on riot chat. Um, you know, I think those are really the ways that, um, or, you know, and if you have an idea about a a partnership or a, a use case that you're interested in exploring, um, that's really valuable to us as well. Yeah. Um, at what point can someone who was more of a small scale investor uh, get in on it? Um, we we're going to do our best to make it like do a more general crowd sale towards the end of our um, 
fundraise. And so we'll, um, and then of course, as the network launches there, people will be able to engage and, um, we're, I'm myself as a non, as someone who's not an accredited investor, I'm not really happy with the way that that turned out, but, you know, um, also don't want to go to jail or, right. you know, sink the project really at the end. It's yeah. about serving the, the project, getting up uh, and off the ground. But, um, since this is the way that things are, um, I guess people just need to be patient and, um, participate. We'll do our best to get, get our house in order to be able to run, sort of a, a, it's called a regulation A plus crowd sale, which is quite a bit of bureaucratic red tape to get through in order to launch that kind of a sale. So it costs a bunch of money even to be able to offer out to the community in that way, unfortunately. So we're sort of building our way to that. Now, um, there, I do have one more question I just really have to address um, before we go, and it's just about the risks. Like I, I just, I was browsing the, the internet here. Um, and one of the, uh, big stories on CNN this morning is billions in cryptocurrency wealth wiped out after hack. And so I'm just curious, like what sort of protections are in place or, you know, what are the big risks entering this, this field? Because, once you do start building wealth, you're just going to be a target of, you know, criminals all over the world. Um, yeah. 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 How, how do you, how do you see yeah. that? Yeah. The crypto markets are super volatile. And so what that means is like from one day to the next, people appear to lose or gain billions of dollars. Of course, mm-hmm. you only lose that money if you buy at the very top and then sell at the bottom. <laughs> That's the that's where the money is actually disappears. So that's important to keep in, you know, keep in mind. And then on the other hand, I mean, I think we just have to do our best to build good technology, to not take anything for granted and to avoid engaging in speculation for speculation's sake. I mean, we're not trying to build something that's, you know, a speculative bubble. We're trying to use the best of the technology. And the reason that people are speculating on it is because there is some really interesting, powerful things about the technology. Okay. Trying to use the best of that and really root it deeply in the question around, you know, living system health and regeneration, and then move towards that with a large community of people. And so, our again, our thesis is that if if you, you know, and and essentially also, I think it's worth noting, you know, region, the region token it represents. It's sort of like we're pre-selling these tokens. And they're the toll tokens for a digital subway system, Hmm. (laughs) you know, a digital public infrastructure system, right? Uh And, um, you know, that infrastructure is going to have to be really secure and really robust. There is no doubt about it. But it's much different from what I think just happened is somebody's private wallet got hacked, Hmm. right? And, and a bunch of money got stolen. I don't know. I have to read the, I'll have to read the, yeah, news. I just looked but, through it was, it's, I think it's a little um, more complicated than that, but you know, it just, it just, it was interesting to see that article the day that I'm talking to you about this and just to realize the yeah, just basic vulnerabilities, right. Of anything. Like, there's you know. risks and, vo- and volatility and, you know, and, um, and the other thing about what we're doing, we're sort of like, it's interesting because one of the, sort of the decentralized autonomous approach is to, you know, in, in the, in the crypto kind of libertarian mindset Mm -hmm. is, 
you know, you, you hard code everything in. And then if there's a mistake, it's your own fault. So if you get hacked, it's your own responsibility. There's no governance. There's nobody, there's no federal reserve to bail you out. Like that's just the way it is. Um, and then there's a middle ground. And I think we're sort of taking the middle ground, which is you can use this technology to create a decentralized governance and that governance, you know, our community can choose if there's a hack to like, to say, okay, we've decided that, you know, we're going to go back in time and, you know, we're restarting before the hack (laughs) (laughs) and the people who got hacked will be, you know, like that money doesn't really exist according to our system. I mean, there's ways to like approach this. Yeah. They have to do with human governance and approach. And what's important to us isn't taking humans out of the equation, although that's that's a common. There are many people in the blockchain and crypto space where they just sort of want to take the human actors out entirely and just Mm -hmm. have it be automated. Um, We're more we more want to ensure that the human interaction is conscientious and the governance is appropriately decentralized and all of the stakeholders have a seat at the table and um, not that there is sort of like a winner takes all, you know, like if you can hack it and get away with it, you know, go for it, which is the case in a lot of the crypto space and and is a part of why it's such a wild ride, you know, Um, it's, it's definitely the wild West (laughs) right now. It's a gold rush. You know, it's a, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of hype and, um, you know, and for better or worse, that's part of what's invited us to be bold and try to, you know, solve this big, audacious, hairy problem that we're yeah. that we're working on solving. So, yeah. you know, there's good sides to that kind of, you know, momentum and building and excitement and movement. And then there's bad sides. And those bad sides can definitely result in people losing lots of money. So, right. you know, got to got to be cautious and. You know, I, if I was going to make uh, advice, you know, investment advice, it's it's really, you know, don't inv- of course, don't invest what you can't afford to lose. And um, and that said, you know, we're all gosh, I mean, we have to we can't afford to lose our planet. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a big there's a yeah. big leap between, you yeah. know, between here and there. Right. I'm not yeah. trying to say that, you know, you know, we can't afford to lose our planet. So just invest. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I am trying to say that we do need to, like, be brave and bold and try our best (laughs) to to engage with these big things. And um, yeah. And and when we do, we'll inevitably bump up against innumerable challenges. And, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of complexity in all of this, for sure. Well, you know, I could actually imagine some positive speculation going on, like, oh, there's an agreement between the uh, sub-Saharan African nations that they're going to build the uh, the green wall of vegetation trees to halt the expansion of the Sahara Desert. And suddenly, like, the regen token value goes up, you know, because there's going to be all these... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I was like, hey, you know, you, you would, you could actually, if, if it became an accurate read, if it really was like a, a truthful yep. gauge, then you could literally track the momentum of regeneration by the value the of the token. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yep it's yep that's cool <laughs> yep it yeah. is cool it's like a, a regenerative index yeah. yeah so people can yep yeah totally and, and maybe think, that's where it's know, going a regenerative I, index 
I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I think that that would be, and there there is some daylight between here and there, but there's a lot of uh, there's also a lot of momentum. So we feel like we've got a pretty good, um, yeah, pretty good head of steam. Lots of interest. You know, the webinar that you were on that you know, with a very minimal amount of outreach, we had you know eighty six or eighty seven people on that webinar, and um, there's we're constantly getting pinged, and um, we've got great interest from partners and you know some some slow and steady but good response to our our fundraising and um yeah so we're we're excited we just um you know a little update from our team we're co-locating here in great barrington massachusetts for the summer so there's going to be a bunch of developers and ecologists and scientists all working together here in great barrington and um heading down to new york city or to boston and cambridge at different points to intersect with you know, other groups of people doing good work that we sort of need to be in cahoots with. And, um, yeah, it's, it's looking really, looking really positive, you know, and it's a good antidote to the kind of the hopelessness, I think that otherwise I myself might feel. And I notice a lot of people falling into with sort of today's, um, um, larger just, you know, news cycle. Well, I must say, this is just so cool and so interesting. And I definitely follow you and Ethan and Christian as, uh, you know, what are these guys up to? Because that's that's the the f- leading edge of something. So I'm, I'm really uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to to continue to follow the progress. And um, thank you so much for being uh, a brave visionary and for trying new things and working uh, so tirelessly for the good of all. So thank you very much, Greg. I really appreciate uh, it. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's so sweet. And thank you for all the work you do in the world, too. I so appreciate your your voice in the movement and, and uh, yeah, just the integrity of, of the work that you're doing there with your community. And, yeah, glad to be in move in the same direction with you, my awesome. friend. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, have a great one, and I look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thank right, you. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millison, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.